Not only is it deeply fulfilling to make podcasts that bring new perspectives on society to folks, with Anchor, it's incredibly simple. It's a free podcast host with tons of creation tools that help make cut and polished podcasts straight from your phone or computer. Anchor makes podcasting simple. They distribute your work to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other major platform distributors. They come with a built-in advertising system so you can make money without a minimum listenership. It's got everything you need to make a fantastic podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to Deconstruct. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci. There are many myths in American society that are causing us to act against our own interests, and Deconstruct's goal is to shed light and give clarity on these myths. Together, we'll trace the origins of the myths our society has forgotten the history of. We'll follow the money trail of the people and institutions who benefit from these myths, and we'll study together how each myth changed the way our world works. Our goal is to equip a listener with a multitude of lenses to see each myth with a fresh perspective and give them the power to reach their own conclusions. In the wake of the series of protests that erupted across the nation in defense of black lives throughout the past month, America is dealing with a newfound inheritance of paranoia against protesters and leftists. There's a lot of deeply unclear fears and misconstrued beliefs to what protesters, leftists, and the movement are like today. So, I want to have some tender, insightful, and humanizing conversations with folks that are leading the fight to protect the marginalized and empower their communities. Kat, how's the day been going for you so far, dear buddy and comrade? Uh, not too bad. Weather's beautiful. Mm. Another day in paradise of you know, the capitalist hellscape, but, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. living the dream, am I right? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm pretty oh. sure living the dream is, like, millennial code for uh, I'm very much not okay. Yeah. And I know that you are, too. Right. That's, like, the closest recognition to trapped in the capitalist hellscape I think the general public is accessible to. <laughs> living the dream in a capitalist hellscape fueled by pandemic pandemonium (laughs) (laughs) you say that pretty well it's almost almost (laughs) exciting it's almost exciting you know like i'm living in uh history is being made right now oh right oh man what a it's 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 like when you talk about history being made and being in the middle of history being made it sounds so exciting but it kind of distracts from the reality that it feels kind of like chlamydia (laughs) (laughs) no one said it would feel good (laughs) no one said it would be nice (laughs) just burning scratchy uncomfortable and the last thing in the world you ever want to talk about oh my goodness but that's pretty accurate somehow miraculously we've all been able to get together to go and talk about it i'm real excited about this folks same here same let's get started now that i have now that everyone's joined the, the 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 group the squad that we have feels so good being in a huddle of revolutionaries it's really hard to come across that in my little neck of the woods I would love to hear a little bit about what each of y'all do in your respective groups and perhaps a little about coal as a greater coalition. Great. Happy to do that. Does anyone want to take a stab at this first? You can go first if you want. I was going to volunteer you for tribute. (laughs) I can can go ahead then. Um, Sure. So my name is Carl. I'm with the uh, Southeast Michigan. People's Defense League, an affiliate of COAL, the Coalition of Armed Labor. Um, first of all, as a disclosure, anything I might say doesn't necessarily um, represent the 
values or opinions of every member we have in our organization or our organizations as a whole. This is just me talking here. I don't have like a approved script I'm going off of. So um, what a great thing to announce with. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Everyone has their own values, their own opinions, and I can't really talk for all of them. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll talk for myself as a member. Um, mm-hmm. The Southeast Michigan People's Defense League, we focus on community defense and community you know, empowerment. Um, mm-hmm. Our mission really is to let no community be defenseless in the face mm-hmm. of things like bigotry, um, capitalist oppression, homophobia, and all other sorts of things we find our communities being oppressed by. Um, what that involves, at least for us, our main praxis or practice, that's a fancy word for practice, you know, the main way we try to see that vision be uh, fulfilled is through teaching folks how to um, defend themselves and their communities. Uh, primarily the focus is on armed defense. Um, because that's our niche. That's something we see as a vital need. And in my opinion, a great equalizer between many folks. Um, so community defense in terms of armed defense, first aid um, and education you know, in these topics. And we're a part of COAL as well, which is a coalition of organizations that are similar. Um, we have very different um, or very similar depending on the different um, chapters or affiliates we talk about values and opinions and tendencies and affiliations and we all have different focuses as well so on that note i'll let our another member talk about their affiliate perhaps i love that carl thank you so much um i could go next i guess unless you want to go cat no no save the best for last truth (laughs) truth uh, well, I'm Russ from uh, People's Defense League, South Louisiana. Uh, we share a similar name to Southeast Michigan, but we're not like specifically sister chapters or anything. We just have a similar name, just to clarify. Um, and also, like Carl said, anything I may say or whatever uh, is just my own opinion. But yeah, People's Defense League, South, South Louisiana, um, we've been operating... I think going on like three years now um and uh we much like all of our groups we do similar things but uh primarily focusing on uh community defense uh training people when there's interest uh doing um defense work when when there's the need um aside from that we try to our our major angle in terms of like political strategy is like dual power so we we try to basically unify our neighborhoods and and lever that power leverage that power and try to form kind of like an alternative through different programs and stuff uh to the like capitalist and uh state systems and try to fill in gaps where maybe the state has failed for example, we've done a lot of uh, uh, homeless outreach work in New Orleans and figured out like the needs that, that weren't being met and tried to meet them. Uh, we've been doing it. Um, our major program right now has been our uh, people's grocery program where we, uh, we've we been getting people from the community to, to kind of donate and collect goods. And we've been raising money to uh, for the program then we buy goods as cheap as we can assemble them into kind of like bags of general goods that may last for like a week or a few days and then people hit us up and say you know hey we need we need some we could use some supplies so then we'll either send out one of our people or we have kind of like a outer network of supporters too that will help us in terms of like small tasks like doing deliveries and stuff like that so that's kind of the stuff we've been doing lately. Hot damn, Russ. That sounds like an amazing form of practice that's going out. I love that. Thank you for your contributions. You. No problem. Thank you. All right. So I guess that makes it my turn. So I am Kat. Uh, I'm here as a rep for the Sawgrass Community Defense Group. We're based out of Florida. Um, 
one of the things that we really try to focus on with our organization is to kind of fill in a lot of gaps, um, not only for like working class folks, but also for lefties. So our big thing is to kind of build like a pan leftist movement that focuses on providing uh, support with firearms as well as medical training, um, just because there are a lot of lefty orgs that are very gun shy, um, while at the same time, there are groups such as like the Socialist Rifle Association, where some of their focus might not necessarily be on direct action. So our big thing is to kind of go over and provide for this overlooked um, area. So we do everything from protest security, um, like the Immokalee workers, um, different um, queer advocacy focus groups, um, immigration rights, that sort of thing. Um, we go over and provide firearms 101 training to other folks in marginalized communities, um, as well as um, medical training, because one of our big beliefs is that it's not enough to know how to make a hole, you also need to know how to plug it. So going over and combining that with really advocating for, you know, the empowerment and the continued uh, advancement and knowledge of the working class, that's, that's really what we, we try to do. So we, I don't know, goodness. Sweet Jesus, Louise's Herman, P. Tap Dance, and Christ Cat. That sounds awesome. I love the duality that you place between the firearms training and the aspect of healing. That sentence that you just said about being able to plug a hole as well as make one, that's huge. And I really want to soak up just like, I'm with a, it sounds like I'm with a couple of real ones right now, and I appreciate that a lot. If I can ask, uh, what does protest security look like for y'all? Uh, to to cat as a follow-up specifically. I'm so curious about that. So for us, it's kind of interesting um, for the folks that may not be aware, Florida does not have open carry. So any capacities where we're going over and doing security, it really kind of depends on where we are, what the situation is. It can be anything from looking at out for FASH or Proud Boys or any other sorts of agitators that may be wanting to start up a confrontation and either harm the folks that are just trying to go over and exercise their rights to be heard, or if they're working to try and get, you know, different protesters arrested by going over and doing those um, confrontations, going over and looking out for cars, which, you know, with all of the events recently of folks you know, getting struck and getting killed um, by these assholes with vehicles um, has been a lot of our focus recently out in the streets. So looking for that, just keeping an eye out. A lot of the times we go gray and are just there to, you know, focus on the outside threats while being, you know, very low key so that the people that are going over and protesting can focus on their work while we're doing ours. I love that. I want to pose a question to all of y'all right now in response to um, when it comes to the expectation of violent instigators outside the sphere of lefties who are generally within and aware of the situation, there is a very lucid paranoia being sown through the minds of the regular populace of fear of left agitation, of the desire for violence on leftist organizations. Is there anything that you have to say to sort of remedy the myth that is being perpetuated and making a whole lot of white people really scared for whatever reason? Are you well, referring? Oh, go ahead, Carl. Um. I would say that a lot of that is paranoia being trumped up by people that would like folks to be afraid. Um, and I think that, for one, none of us are organizations that condone violence. Um, that's absolutely not something we're into. Yeah, I think 
people need to realize that, you know, calling for liberation and, and freedom shouldn't mean that violence is going to occur. Um, and I think it might be kind of telling if people assume that's what needs to occur when that's what people are asking for. Um, and that's an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. Totally. I was going to ask, are you referring to like how in the media they've been trying to push like about Antifa attacking people or whatever, like Antifa's I, kind of the new boogeyman. I think it's hilarious. Absolutely. That is such a, a, a common fear being stoked into the populace that people know nothing about because is Antifa organized? No, it's an ideology. H how do we handle that, Russ? Um, yeah, I mean, number one, it, they're not a like cohesive organization, but like while our groups we don't really follow the same sort of tactics i've been around a lot of those type of people and that they, they you know there's all this media about they're attacking like random grannies and stuff like that like that, that stuff just doesn't happen it's just it's made up like 99 percent of the time of course like dumb stuff can happen from random people but by and large it's i mean it's not a concerted effort right So one of the things that I found has kind of helped with, um, shall we say, some of the less woke um, individuals that I've talked to is to go over and look at Love the it. statistics with them. Um, so to go over and show like, okay, you're really concerned about Antifa. Like I understand that, you know, we're in very scary and uncertain times and there's nothing you know, scarier than that which we don't know, those things that we don't understand. So, you know, taking the time to sit with some folks that they might not necessarily be malicious, but that they just don't necessarily have the information. They've been indoctrinated into, as we were saying earlier, you know, the capitalist hellscape, you know, and a lot of the times we have these blind spots where we're not aware of the things that we don't know. So taking the time to go over and show them like, okay, let's go over and look through this statistically. Let's go and pour through, you know, some reputable news sources and see where, where are we looking at this so-called Antifa violence? Let's go over and compare that to all of these statistics and even taken from, you know, sources that some folks might object to if we're going over and looking at even in right-wing media or going over and looking at government sources like the Department of Justice um, goes over and tracks a lot of these hate groups and you can show them statistically like listen you might be concerned about Antifa but if we're going over and we're looking at the big scary government they're going over and telling you that you're so much more likely even as a white person because you know, a lot of these folks will go over and say, like, you know, I'm not racist. I have, you know, a black friend. Well, I have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I live in Florida, so I know so many Latinos, you know. So going over and showing them, like, wow, you know, you claim to be anti-racist. You do have people of color that you consider friends that you know and you love and you want them to be around. You know, why don't you consider not only just their statistical uh, chance of being harmed or killed by these folks just going over and, you know, based on this data, but also, you know, you're affiliated with them. Do you think that they're going to look on you as kindly just because you happen to have the same skin color? Like you're affiliated with these folks. So, you know, education and, you know, trying to take people in good faith. Now, that's not to say wasting like time and effort and labor on people that are just adamantly no absolutely not antifa is of the devil and they're here to just go over and you know eat babies and put in some sort of matriarchy <laughs> to enslave the white men like you know that obviously you know is is not worth time and effort but you know there are people that like can be reached and they're willing to listen if we are able to, you know, and especially for the more privileged among us, if we're able to go over and and reach out to those folks. Eloquently said, and with a really just 
beautiful bit of humor to that. Kat, thank you so much. Uh, I, I think there's uh, a large scope of appeal of people that are becoming more curious about radicalism now. Uh, I was a member of DCSA for a long time, and uh, we talked about the Trump bump a lot about how people after the election, uh, after this traumatic event of Trump getting put in, a lot of people joined the radical forces. Now in 2020, there's a little bit of a different scope of radical forces being put together. So I would really be interested in hearing the wisdom that y'all have to offer in terms of some of the big case studies that we've seen so far. I'm thinking about uh, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone and the NFAC and their recent demonstration. There's a whole lot to unpack there. Would y'all be interested in getting down and exploring some of what we can learn from these two instances together? Let's do it. Absolutely. Let's go. Oh, yeah. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, which do you let's, – let's put a little bit of democracy into action. What would y'all like to start with first? Would you like to talk about Chaz or would you like to talk about the NFAC? Um, I vote Chaz. Yeah, sure. Chaz. I third the motion. Booyah. All right. So be it moved. Let's talk about Chaz. Um, first, how do we feel about the end of something so beautiful yet so fleeting? What did the end of Chaz feel like to you? So if I could start, um, you know, it was definitely disappointing to an extent, obviously. Um, I think my opinions might be a little different than many folks on this side of things. You know, I saw Chaz from like a, strategic mindset i mean obviously in a value-based perspective like it's the world we want to see to some extent being made in front of us but um you know it, it definitely had a time limit something like that can't uh exist indefinitely you can't claim you know the center of a city and expect it to just uh flourish forever um you know i i saw the end would happen eventually um you know in my my personal opinion is that you can't just claim to be autonomous um you have to you have to become autonomous uh through capacity through ability and um logistics and resources you need to create a community that is strong and skilled and empowered and eventually it will be autonomous whether you call it autonomous or not Ooh, i really um, like that and, that, and that's the, the organizing I want to see personally, is that we become autonomous through our skills and our actions, not just our words and declarations. That's not, it's not to say that Chaz didn't also build those things. Um, it's not to say it didn't build skills and connections either. But, you know, to me thinking, you know, moving forward, I would really like to see us become autonomous um, almost spontaneously through our, our actions and our skills. Obviously that requires a lot of effort, careful effort and thought, but the autonomy we will come once we put, you know, those things into place, those skills and abilities and those relationships in our communities. That's my, that's my opinion on Chaz there and autonomy moving forward. Beautiful, Carl. All right, who'd like to take a crack at it next? Um, I'll go next. Um, and while, you know, I'll preface everything by saying I have mad respect for the people that actually went out there and, and tried Absolutely. to do the damn thing, like, Absolutely. regardless of what errors there was or, or whatever. But I will kind of uh, agree, you know, and echo a little bit of Carl. Um, I agree. Mad I, props. Yeah, I, I uh, saw it, you know, I saw that it was gonna end kind of like, almost almost from the beginning i mean i was i was hopeful to see what was happening what would happen in the end but um just like looking strategic wise as someone who's read a lot of like military stuff and uh like che and mal they've both wrote about guerrilla warfare and stuff like that and it's like uh, 
well, in both those strategies, they have the concepts of like autonomous zones or, or free zones or whatever. That's been a thing in, in every kind of revolt. Um, but that doesn't happen before you basically win sort of like a skirmish war with like the state or the police or whatever. And that didn't quite happen uh, with Chaz. Like they, the police ceded ground for sure, but it's like they they weren't really the state or whatever state forces weren't really pushed out of the area and like logist there's a lot of logistics like um weak points like for example that if they wanted to they could just shut off all the water to all those blocks like they could cut off all the power like i i work in uh the utilities so i mean i could see that happening um and the area they chose to pick wasn't like necessarily industry or anything like that from what i could see it was kind of like a commercial area like it was cool they had that co-op set up and seemed to function relatively well like i was i was pretty surprised how much food and stuff they had um but it's just you know those this when those zones happen in, in other revolts and revolutions and stuff there's usually kind of like going back to the idea of dual power there's there's material um institutions i guess that in lines of uh logistics and stuff like that 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 would that keep the movement sustained and running and, and just unfortunately chaz didn't really quite have that but like i said still mad respect for people attempting to do it and even with all of its its issues word so yeah, I guess I mean, kind of, oh go ahead sorry uh, to to bounce off of um, what Russ just said, um, if we thought that this was going to be like an autonomous state, <laughs> as some people were treating it, um, you know there there are there are theories about how to build you know things like this, theories and practice. And typically, if you were to build an autonomous zone uh, or a base area, you'd actually want it to be in a remote area away from um, opposition, you know, that's how it'll be autonomous. It can't be in the center of um, a highly prized area where uh, those you're trying to be autonomous from are actually very strong. Yeah, you can't build it, so to speak, in the belly of the belly of the beast, you know, in a large metropolitan area. Oh, I like that. District. <laughs> you can't be autonomous there. I mean, you have to be somewhere um, a little further away where you can build that dual power uh, I'll let it pass off to Kat then. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there, Carl and Russ. Um, I feel that one of the really big um, lessons and takeaways that we can get from Chaz, though, is that, you know, as a people, like the Americans are, are pretty complacent. You know, there are totally. like, a lot of, yeah, there's, there's countries and citizens that are just like, hey, you know, like you guys should have gone over and done X, Y, Z, you know, decades ago. Like, what are you folks doing? You don't have a labor movement. You don't have socialized medicine. Like what is going on? But I feel that, you know, the movement that we are building on so many different fronts with so many different lefty ideologies is like this this gorgeous plant, you know, that's really starting, like the roots are deep, they're there, and we're really becoming, you know, this, this blossoming thing. And one of the great things about Chaz that I feel is that to the, you know, everyday average American, where they're kind of questioning, like, you know, why would we do anything differently? We've always done it this way. We've always had cops we've always had institutions of capital we've always had this hierarchy of the fat cats on top and the peasants on the bottom you know wallowing in in mud and filth and abject poverty and chaz is kind of you know a an opportunity to show folks like it can be different like we don't have to have things this way and the folks that when chaz like was first starting to get established you know so many different like media places and like folks that I've talked to were just like, oh my God, it's gonna turn into a Mad Max hellscape. 
in like 20 hours. It's just going to be, you know, looting and fires all over the place and, you know, gnashing of teeth and rending of clothes. And it's just going to go over and look like a circle of hell from, you know, Dante's Inferno. And like, it turns out that no, like this isn't like a Hobbesian state of nature. This is just people being neighbors and sharing the resources that they have and dancing in the streets and, you know, like painting murals and spending time educating their children and walking and just like enjoying the sunshine and like just not participating in the rat race and to be able to, because, you know, we are a social species, we learn from each other and to be able to demonstrate on, you know, a fairly large scale, like comparatively speaking for the United States historically and in modern times that like, no, we don't have to do things the way that they have been done. Like, I think that this is kind of, you know, dipping the toe in the water for what will hopefully be a jump in the deep end pretty soon. That was utterly poetic. I feel so many flavors of hope and joy and plant metaphors. I love when we talk about left organizations like plants. It just makes me feel so full. Kat, that was, that was something else you know, of one sort yeah. or the other. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's too easy to be reactionary in that space. Um, and uh, it's too easy to be a reactionary. Yeah. And I think we just have to make the culture different. We need to have an inclusive and open culture. We need to empower people such as, you know, the Jewish community, um, mm-hmm. uh, people of color of all kinds of all orientations. I think, we have to make it not toxic so that um, these people we care about are able to, to flourish and thrive in this type of organizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, as a woman of color, I, I do think that it's very important for there to be not only you know community defense groups and folks that are willing to be armed and that are willing to put themselves on the line in defense of their communities um, mm. to exist and also to be open about it to be visible because you know if something's out there and folks aren't aware of it it may as well not exist you know yeah but at the same time, you know, it, it was very disappointing um, finding out about, you know, some of these very problematic views. Like, I hope that, you know, this individual is able to, you know, come forward and kind of shed those, you know, discriminatory views and to come to a better understanding of how you know, these tools of oppression are used to divide us as the working class, because, you know, together we stand, divided we fall. Um, yeah. And again, like, really great, loved all of the photos, like, being able to sit there and think like, wow, there are a bunch of, you know, black and brown kids that are going to go over and see this. And hopefully they'll sit there and think like, we don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with what my parents put up with. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful thought for me to see, to, 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 to imagine the youth of a coming generation see that they have the power to do something like that. As Frederick Douglass used to say, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. I am really grateful for that. Yeah, kind of my opinion on all of it. Um, for one, like I think it's the imagery is very powerful, and like Kat said, it's very awesome for for people to see this and and know that you know that's a a way we can handle some of this stuff or like an avenue we can take instead of just, you know, having the, the same whatever rally that happens everywhere. Um, but at the same time, 
I'm also of the opinion that like when we're dealing with organizing the working class, like we're going to come across reactionary elements. It's just, it's just going to be um, part of the process, but I'm not saying to, so like I'm of the opinion that you can't just like write off all these people just because there's some reactionary elements, but at the same time, some people take that to the extreme and and say like we don't ever need to worry about identity politics or whatever you want to call it um i think that's wrong too like i think it should be that like reaction should be combated all the way like during and then after because i mean even after a theoretical or a hypothetical revolution there's still going to have to be cultural work done to like resolve a lot of those social um, and cultural issues, you know, regarding uh, just different forms of bigotry or whatever. Right. So, yeah. So it's just something, you know, we're going to have to deal with. And I think, you know, when, when things start turning into like a real deal, like revolution, it's that we're going to be having comrades in weird places coming from weird places, whether it be you know, black militants who may or may not have like some reactionary views toward certain things or like possibly like people being turncoats of uh, like right wing militias and coming over to our side. Like you never know where right. you're going to find where you're going to find support from. So it's just we, we have to be ready and to adapt and be ready to uh, kind of combat that reactionary like thoughts and ideology well said that leads to a, a a really timely question that i've been kind of mulling around the past couple of days in my studies i've seen a consistent trend when uh when nations and communities first find the means to break from their oppressors and commit their revolution and liberate themselves there's this there's the initial action and then the pendulum swings and the the swinging pendulum looks a lot like this sort of aftershock of the dormant internalized aspects of the colonizer mentality that were indoctrinated in the people liberating themselves kind of resurfacing and acting itself through this newly liberated body. I've seen it a lot of different times where the liberators begin embodying the actions and the ideologies of their oppressors. Do y'all have any thoughts on ways that we might be able to mitigate this step when the time comes for us to get free together? So I think what you're describing here is, although we might get rid of the fascists, we don't get rid of the, the little fascists in our minds right. that we have um, been taught through our indoctrination in the society we live in. You know, yes. we're, taught, totally. we're taught so many things um, to take for granted as how we're supposed to treat one another, how we're supposed to treat people weaker than us, how we're supposed to treat people who do things differently than us, whether it through its, you know, social ridicule as you've grown up as a kid or, you know, the rules you're taught in school. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff's pretty powerful and um, it, uh, it really affects how people see and, and work in the world. Um, I think that we have to always be very cognizant of these things we take for granted and, um, we have to admit that we all have faults and we all need to work on them, you know, as individuals. And part of that is um, being open to, um, you know, criticism and critiques from your comrades. You have to take it in stride. You have to take it in good faith. And if anyone ever mentions something or if you ever notice that perhaps you're taking up too much space as like a white man or perhaps you are being less... Um, less active with certain peers of yours um you gotta you gotta work on that and you gotta fix it you know we can't we can't turn into what we're trying to be rid of mm -hmm. anybody else have any thoughts on the matter
I think that, and the simplest like solutions often sound, you know, they are very simple when you say them, but in practice, it's very difficult is like listening and not just your ears are receiving the sounds and your brain is processing them and interpreting them as like human speech coming out of someone else's mouth. Like yeah. To, to actively listen, to go over and absorb what folks are going over and saying and to like actively synthesize it with, you know, the environment going on with your own biases with the experiences of the folks that are coming, you know, it's interesting. I was going over and um, doing some research on um, Niccolo Machiavelli, you know, and there's a lot of, um, you know, like misinterpretations, uh, especially of the prince. Um, I won't go into, you know, an entire like political theory lesson here, but <laughs> one of the things that he stated was essential for a prince and we can extrapolate here an effective leader is someone who welcomes criticism, someone who explains to the people around them that you encourage them to speak the truth to you and that you welcome their feedback and for them to point out to you, you know, where your blind spots are, where your deficiencies are so that, you know, we can all grow together as, you know, human beings and as comrades. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with, um, I, I think we should definitely have a culture where um, it's, it's normal to give and receive criticism in, in good faith, which is something that's at least in America, definitely isn't very common. And it's definitely dire, direly needed, both just in our general culture and within like leftist organizing too. Um, but I'll say another, I guess, strategy we could deal with that problem is just simply like for the left broadly is just simply, I think um, being like present and doing um, doing the hard work of, of trying to educate and talk to some of these people that are reactionary. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white dude. I grew up in, in the country in rural uh, Florida. I live in Louisiana now. I'm actually from Florida too. Um, and, you know, I grew up, I mean, my dad was, was pretty reactionary and, and bigoted. So like, unfortunately I was also reactionary when I was younger and I had to work through that. And just because I was a product of my own environment so, you know, even as someone who's, who's come definitely a, a long way politically, like I think it can it can be done like in any group of people and like the, the, the white working class for sure definitely is some of the most reactionary. So like, I, I believe, you know, no if, I doubt. Can, if I can go that far on my own and I, I, you know, I didn't, it was no organization or anything that, that taught me what I know It's just me resolving like having lived experiences and and learning things for myself but i think that i could have come over to this side a lot quicker if there was groups and stuff especially in rural communities but just um and seriously like legitimately embedded into the working class like everywhere uh, leftist organizations like you know doing the hard work of talking to people and uh you know most people push back on anything remotely close to socialism or whatever um but i think that kind of hard work has to be done and, and i think it needs to be done like wholesale by uh groups um yeah yeah i'm right there with you russ i was uh, a white boy that grew up in the town without a stoplight and the journey involved a lot of uncomfortable processing of toxicities that i had just been programmed with it was a long journey but one of the most powerful places that i ever went to was and it's kind of wild how radical this concept is a men's group a men's support group where i learned how to process some of the the deeply problematic and toxic aspects of how 
I interacted with the world through a patriarchal participatory lens and they held my worth. They helped me understand and observe the practices that were harmful that I had perpetuated. And they taught me one of the most powerful mentors in my life at this point was really just someone who taught me how to be receptive to feedback. Like you were saying, Kat, I really think the, the I agree with you wholeheartedly. The ability to receive feedback is so powerful. So I think that puts us in a beautiful place to begin asking perhaps the most powerful question of this meeting so far. How do we create a, a, a leftist paradigm that is both centered around the defense of the marginalized and capable of healing and restoring the wounds that a capitalist patriarchal, hierarchical society has imposed upon us? Well, I guess you just, you got to do both. You just have to do the work. Um, I think that kind of work might not all be doable by one person. But, um, you know, honestly, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is an aspect of what many of our organizations do is we do what we call counter-recruitment. Um, counter-recruitment is where we don't preach to the choir. We preach to, like, uh, the audience. <laughs> we go and we, we talk to people who might not necessarily share our values or beliefs. And we just open conversations with them on, you know, shared values we might have. And when we do that, we're often able to move into and segue into things that um, they haven't thought about or, or looked at before. So, you know, being able to talk to people that might not share all the same values with you is important. That's not to say you should tolerate any form of bigotry, but you should be able to work with people who might have internalized things, you know, unconsciously and aren't really aware of how they're, you know, treating people and how they're, um, yeah, those, those bigoted, you know, things, you know, it's not, uh, you know, you don't have to go talk to Nazis and Klansmen, but people in their communities, you know, uh, impressionable people who haven't really uh, went all the way there someone does need to talk to them like you say and we have to be able to have those conversations with them I love that so I, I mean think... in, in our organization we have some folks that like to focus on that and then we have some folks who uh, that's really just not their cup of tea for any number of reasons and I totally understand you know as a person of color myself as an immigrant I don't want to have those conversations all the time with everybody it's a little exhausting Definitely. But I appreciate my comrades that do it, and I know that it's very valuable. I'll leave it there. Carl, thank you like so much for like all of the labor and everything, by the way, that you folks do. Um, we definitely take a similar approach to kind of use another metaphor and a very nerdy one. Um, we take kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons approach. You know, everyone... Yo. <laughs> I'm already everyone. excited. <laughs> so everyone in the party has their role, you know, and there are some folks that are better suited towards different things than others. And we can't be successful without the entire party there. So, you know, on the whole, like we all might be dual classing different things. You know, you've got your rogues going over and doing your sneaky stuff and getting, you know, your information and tapping into intelligence networks and you know, forming connections in different places. You have your bards out there keeping up the charisma, checking in on people, making sure that folks' mental and emotional health is being supported. Because you know, physical health is one thing, but you know, if your mind's not in it, then you're not in it at all. You know, you've got your DPS folks that are going over and, and doing the big damage and, and being out there, but like more than anything, you know, we're all dual classing paladins, you know, we all have the ability 
to, you know, provide that protection, but also, you know, give the healing that's necessary. We're out there to tank a lot of the damage, so to speak, so that there is space for the other folks to do what's necessary for us to, you know, get through the dungeon that is, you know, capitalism and alienation and all of that stuff. So I think like the, the biggest thing to going over and building, you know, a long lasting movement and working towards a better future for everyone is like recognizing that there is space for everyone at the table and not just like recognizing that people have their different things that they're good at, but also identifying where we can put those folks or where those folks are going to be able to really like shine based on what they can contribute and what we can give them. What an amazing analogy. The moment you said that I started geeking out so hard, but the idea of finding the specific nuances and roles for people, that's really beautiful. And I think it begs the question that everyone's thinking right now. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay, picture this. We're all playing Dungeons and Dragons together, but it's us organizing. Every single one of us. What classes are you? I love the idea of the dual class, so I'm going to put that into it. What do you think you are? I'm going to start. I I shared this thing the other day asking my friends, what kind of vibes do I give off? And the unanimous... Uh, consensus was that I was like a, a druid bard hybrid super charismatic super energizing but at the same time like I could go on a hike and I could f- identify a ton of different plants and show exactly which ones you could eat on a hike and I'm super about growing the garden so I'm a bard slash druid dual class hybrid and I'm dying to know what classes y'all think you are. Um, I'm probably either a paladin or like a battle cleric or something, because for one, I'm like six, five in person. So I'm probably going to be out there like tanking the damage, so to speak. And then also like preaching about Marxism. <laughs> Yo, battle clerics are tight. Is it my turn? <laughs> um, I guess I would be like a paladin is what I usually think, but then a lot of people tell me warlock. So paladin, warlock, that's a thing. That is so fascinating. I'm trying to think of that. Well, what would that would look like? And it's, wow, Carl, that's cool. Okay, so I'm pretty sure my class might not be the most effective one meta, but like, it's so fun to role play. Uh, I'm definitely a bard barbarian. So dual class bard and barbarian, because it's just like, you know, high charisma, but also like, let's get shit done. I'm tired of waiting around. Like the traps don't matter if you're in a berserker rage, like let's do it. Definitely see that. (laughs) (laughs) i feel so seen (laughs) i'm trying to think of what kind of band a barbarian would be in i'm trying to think of it because i i'm on a i'm on (laughs) amazing amazing wow Uh, believe it or not um if folks didn't know Amana Marth is named after the I believe it's Tolkien Elvish I can't remember if it's Kenya or Sindarin for uh Mount Doom so they're all a bunch of nerds that's so cool wow um we've we've reached the nirvana of leftist podcasting that's it Wow. Um, Do you think leftist organizations would be able to grow their ability to perform by playing Dungeons and Dragons? Probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Problem solving, team building. (laughs) I was going to say, are there leftists that don't play (laughs) D&D? I don't know. I don't think I'm that one. (laughs) 
<laughs> I gotta admit. Yo, do y'all want to set up a D&D campaign sometime? <laughs> I wish I had the time. We're living it, aren't we? Yeah. We're living the D&D campaign. Holy shit. Wow. And folks, on that note, I mean, I, 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 I can't think of anything else to follow up with that. So I am so grateful for the space that we were able to collectively cultivate together. I think it's been a really dope space. I absolutely love how we've been able to talk about all of these things. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the, the listeners out in the Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, uh, stratosphere that people are on? Uh, we could name drop or boost uh, Cole a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go for it, please. Plug away, my buddies. Does anyone else want to start that off? You go, Russ. I like the sound of your voice. Aww. <laughs> what someone does. Aww. Um... Well, so we were founded in, um, I believe it was November of 2019. Well, I think we kind of started the since like the beginning of 2019, but we came out public in November. And uh, basically what COAL is, is for those that don't know, is short for, um, or an acronym for Coalition of Armed Labor. Um, basically the general goal is to try to unify um, community defense groups and, and groups that are kind of in our same uh, model, uh, I guess you could say into an, a national network or whatever, um, which the purpose would be to, to share kind of resources, training, um, like backing each other up, for example, and Georgia, oh, we've yeah. had a lot of situations where we had to go there and kind of do like joint um, open carry type operations um, because of, like to mitigate against like legit clan clan rallies and stuff like that. We've oh, actually man. had people, yeah, we've had people in Stone Mountain, ironically enough, like going back to the uh, in the in FAC uh, group. Um, we were there not too long ago. Um, Wild. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone wants to. If anyone else wants to take it over. Yeah, um, I'd just like to say, I know these are difficult times for everybody. There's a lot going on. Um, sometimes it's easy to be discouraged, but honestly, if there's so much strife going on, it's because people are, uh, they're not putting up with bullshit anymore. So mm -hmm. um, this is also a time of great energy, revival. Um, People are standing up for themselves, and that's why you're seeing all this going on. So don't feel like you're alone. Uh, find an organization to plug into. There's people that are here to help. On that note, if you're in the Michigan area, the uh, Southeast Michigan People's Defense League, we operate uh, throughout the Lower Peninsula right now. Um, you can find us at michiganpdl.org. Um, you reach out, we'll have uh, a recruiter, you know, contact you if you're interested in getting involved. Booyah! I guess that makes it my turn. Um, so folks, you know, remember to be kind to everyone else. Like these are really stressful times, but also remember to be kind to yourself. Um, and like, don't be discouraged. Like we have nothing to lose but our chains. And if you happen to be in Florida, please look up. up. We are at sawgrassdefense.com, and we would love to work with you guys. Cole, y'all are amazing in the work that you do, the thoughts that you've brought to the table. It has been a joy, a pleasure, and an honor to sit down with all of y'all tonight. And I cannot wait to help amplify your message and your praxis, because we're we're all in this big one together, I think. 
And that phrase has been co-opted so many times by so many corporate entities and so many centrists. I think it's our turn to have a little bit of that sentiment. Solidarity forever, everybody. So much love to all of y'all. This has been such a great discussion. There you have it, everyone. That was our conversation with the Coalition of Armed Labor, COAL. Make sure to check out their pages all around in Louisiana, with Sawgrass, and in Michigan. And thank you so much for making it to the end of today's episode of Deconstruct. If you're new to the show, if you're just coming aboard and you want to hear a little bit more of us, make sure to follow our social media platforms. You can get all of that on our Linktree site, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Deconstruct Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. We have a meme site that we can uh, that's connected to our Facebook group. And there, you'll be able to connect with all of the episodes that we've released so far, all of the content that we're making, and all of the additional bonus bits that we are going to be rolling through. If you have friends that you think would like what we talk about, and if you have friends that would like to take the journey of deconstructing with us, send them an episode start the conversation. Conversations are one of the most powerful things we can do as people. And together we'll be able to grow this uh, educational podcast. We'll be able to grow this movement and great things are going to happen. We're still in the process of beginning to make merchandise as well as forming a Patreon channel. So keep your ears tuned out for that. And as always, I wish you joy, peace, safety, and health between the time of now and when we meet again. Stay sharp, stay cool, and stay beautiful, everyone. I'm Fitzgerald Pucci, and this is Deconstruct. Deconstruct.